you're looking crafty. You could make a raft out of pencils and foam. You sure looking happy. And welcome to the Stitchcraft Podcast, episode number 50. I looked it up. Ooh, look at you. Look at me doing the bare minimum. (laughs) And then congratulating myself. (laughs) If no one else is going to do it, who will? (laughs) 2021 vibes. (laughs) Ready to pat myself on the back for literally the bare minimum. (laughs) Every day. When people have to-do lists that they're like excited about like checking off, like I got this done today and this done today. And I'm like, who brushed their teeth? me (laughs) girl i flossed before this podcast even though it's not a video podcast because you have to look at me you i love you you are so kind and thoughtful but you know what it's true every time i have a like i usually you know i brush my teeth at night and i brush my teeth in the morning but sometimes if i'm running late in the morning because you know depression i just like (laughs) get to work but if i have a meeting like on zoom or anything like that i'm like like quickly brush and like Try to put myself together, but I feel like brushing your teeth and flossing is like a, it's, it's, it's self-care. Only you, it only matters to you in these moments of quarantines because ain't no one getting up close, so. Well, right, because even if you leave your house, and this is actually one of my more favorite things about (laughs) quarantines, is that if I had pesto with my lunch, it's cool. Who knows? Who knows? I might <laughs> have, nobody could see me. I might have had the biggest glass of red Kool-Aid, but who knows? <laughs> Did I eat Oreos for lunch? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I also love, someone told me the other day, and I wish I could remember exactly which person it was, um, but uh, basically no one, no man can tell her to smile anymore. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I was like, damn! Like, and I was like, you know, I have a resting bitch face. You have a resting bitch face. Like, we are born of two people who don't smile naturally. Um, yeah. Their so faces it, just don't, the, cor- the corners of the mouth just don't turn up naturally. Like, some people always look pleasant. That's not our family. No, not our family at all. Um, so mom works real hard to smile. Like, everyone's like, oh, your mom smiles all the time. I'm like, that's work. It's work. That's on purpose. <laughs> that's intentional. And she means it. She lo- She's trying to convey, you know, the right thing. But yeah, just hearing like no man can tell you to smile because you have a mask on or to cheer up. <laughs> I'm like, I love that. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. So I'm, much. I'm, there are many things that have come out of this pandemic that sucks. But some of these uh, realizations of uh, your personal space, asking who's there really matters now. You get to say that and no one can be offended because I want to know, is that sketchy person going to be there that nobody trusts? <laughs> like, yep. oh, Lord. Sorry, I have to take my earrings off. They're clacking against my my headphones here. Ah. Zoom fashion earrings. <laughs> yes, yes. That's well, definitely a thing. S- speaking of Zoom fashion, mm. what what's in your cup? <laughs> well, my dear, since... Um, this is our, I don't know that this is really our Valentine's Day episode because we might record again before Valentine's Day, but this is the one that's more like uh, talking about what we're going to do for Valentine's Day because it requires a little planning. I uh, sort of accidentally came across a cocktail that is perfect. So um, I had, is it I was planning to make a one? Negroni. 
<laughs> Champagne for one. Um, that I don't save for dates. That's just Wednesday. <laughs> it's called alive. I'm alive. Yep. Here it is. I'm alive. Cheers. Drinking a toast to myself for somehow still avoiding the pandemic. Hey. All right. <laughs> so no. So I had gone downstairs. Uh, to which is where our bar is, and yes, we have a bar because um, my husband's mom gave it to us when she moved. Um, so anyway, the bar is downstairs. I went down there and I was like looking at the stuff we had, um, and I was like, you know, I don't really want to mess with anything. I'm just gonna make a Negroni. I love a Negroni. It's bitter like me. Perfect. <laughs> and. Uh, I decided to, some, um, a friend had gotten me the botanist gin for um, either my birthday or Christmas. I can't remember which holiday it was, but somebody got me the botanist. And I was like, okay, well, I know different gins go differently with different Negroni ingredients. So for those of you who are, you know, not familiar with a Negroni, it's, it's a very simple cocktail that is three equal parts gin Campari and sweet vermouth and so as long as you have those three things you're gonna have a pretty good Negroni like don't let me trick you into thinking like oh you have a specific gin and a specific sweet vermouth you don't you can have you know bullshit martini and Rossi five dollar sweet vermouth and you know whatever gin is on the shelf and right on. the only thing that really matters is that you have some type of bitter Amaro of some type. So that's the thing that's actually going to cost you any real money if you are trying to do this on a budget is the Campari or some other bitter liqueur, which is actually pretty low alcohol. It just is very bitter. Um, so those three things in three equal parts, that will make you a serviceable Negroni no matter what gin you have. But I had the botanist gin and I was like trying to figure out what to do with it. So I just looked up botanist Negroni. Mm -hmm. And as I was scrolling through, I came across something which is not a, not a Negroni, but it is a perfect Negroni-like drink. So it's called A Date with Shirley Manson. <laughs> also, what a badass. Okay. Yes. <clears throat> so the recipe calls for um, botanist gin, sweet vermouth, honey syrup, which a friend of mine had made from his own bee's honey. From his cool. backyard. Can I? Can uh, and I that was a, our Christmas gift. I have oh, to ask a question. A honey what? syrup. So it's a yeah. simple syrup derived from reduced honey. honey. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, instead of um, mixing sugar and water, you mix honey and honey water. Okay. Same Excellent. idea. Dig it. Yeah. So gin, sweet vermouth, honey syrup, and then um, this called for date bitters, but I don't have that. So I had plum bitters, and I figured that would do a similar type of job stone I mean, fruit i've got date bitters <laughs> don't we all <laughs> anyway so that is uh and then they recommend also that you um stir it with ice and then strain it into a coupe glass but i'm not trying to do all that so i just put it in a glass with a big piece of ice so that it'll melt slowly um and then it also is like your garnish is a speared date and a twisted orange peel. And I was like, no, we're not doing any of that either. We're just going to leave the solids out of here. <laughs> we're leaving the solids out because I don't have them. And uh, we are right now 
um, in the midst of receiving what's supposed to be somewhere between 8 and 12 inches of snow. So oh. we're just going to yeah. hang out here. We're going to wing it. <laughs> this. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so that is what is in my cup. And I have to say, um, it is, it's really nice. It does not have the bitterness, um, that comes with adding like Campari or Aperol or something like that. But the sweet vermouth that I have has some bitterness to it. And I like it. Did they say why they called it date night with Shirley Manson? No, I can't figure out the bar that originally invented it. So I was just curious because I'm like, She's a very interesting woman, and she's very mm-hmm. talented, and I am curious how this happened. <laughs> so Yeah, that's the one cocktail on the whole list where it doesn't say, like, this came from Blah Blah Bar in L.A. made by this famous, hmm. you know, bartender. It doesn't have that. So well, cheers to whoever invented it. It's actually very nice. It's doable. It's serviceable. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Very nice. How about you? I am not going to front like I have a good plan here. I just am having <laughs> bourbon ginger with lime. That's it. Just having that. That's lovely. It's lovely. It does the job. I was rushing to get to this because I, um, well, admittedly, I had, a, I had a date the other night, and this guy is a bartender, a fancy bartender, and he made simple syrup at my house, which I know is not hard to do. I know. But his is so much nicer than any simple syrup I've made. It's like beautifully, like the consistency was absolutely perfect. And um, I was like, oh, I'm going to use the rest of this for a cocktail today. No, no, I didn't. (laughs) Guess who's not a bartender? Me. (laughs) Also, nothing like talking to a fancy bartender who's like won awards and was like, you know, like they're a career bartender. And I'm like, our family owns bars. And that's a very different experience. And then I was like, how do I finish with, there was holes in the floor. <laughs> like, you might fall through. <laughs> like, I used to fall asleep on top of the jukebox when I was a little kid. It's not the same. It's not. not the same. Mm-mm. Hide and go seek underneath a pool table. Not the same. <laughs> it ain't the same kind of bar. <laughs> I, did we eat pool chalk? Yes, we did. <laughs> like, did we help add green dye to beer? Sure did. We were... Not, not fancy. There's nothing fancy about dance. <laughs> Our family, to this day, has uh, family reunions at a bar that just <laughs> because I think we just wore them down because we were gonna do it anyway. Let's well, we just decorate their bar. ceiling tiles. We used to own that bar. Yeah, but that's it's been it's been out of the family for many years now. a year since yeah. we owned it, and we still walk in there like we do, and we take their ceiling tiles down and draw on them, <laughs> and then come back a year later and do the same thing all over again. You're forgetting uh, the leg wrestling in the streets island. <laughs> like, there, I, I mean, yeah. I'm not forgetting it. I just didn't bring it up. Excuse me. <laughs> I've got no shame in this family. Um, I never Nobody got arrested. Nobody in this family has any shame, and that's how we got like this. <sighs> that is the biggest truth that I've ever heard. Um, but also, Ivan, I like to think that when we go for the family reunion, we're helping with our property tax every year. We're really like, they can bank on us to keep property taxes paid. That is true. <laughs> the locals a, keep it in business, point. and then when it comes to the big, you know, property tax situation, the Williams family provides <laughs> the fact that the rest of the town comes to our family again says another thing i they, think that yeah yeah they know when it's happening they know when it's happening they know we're bringing it a uh, 
a karaoke uh, organize. What is that? A karaoke host? A host? But she's mm-hmm. been doing it for like mm-hmm. 20 years for us. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Anyways, I feel like we're bragging now. I'll stop. I would say it's not bragging, but um, this, the reality is I went on a date with a really fancy bartender, and I was like... And you had nothing to compare it to. <laughs> and then when he was like, he drove me home in, in a mini blizzard. We were getting two to five inches of snow at the time. He drove me home from our, our date. And I was like, I was like, come over and like make a drink, like blah, 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 before you, you know, like, you've, you've been on the road for like 45 minutes, like, take a moment, chill. And so he came in and he made all this stuff, but he asked, he was like, hey, do you mind if I swing by at home and like pick up all these syrups and these things that I've been working on? And I was like, no, I got all that here. (laughs) (laughs) But did you? No, of course not. (laughs) I just wanted to get home and get Tubi outside. It's been a few hours and I was like, oh, she's going to freak out. (laughs) I just wanted to get home because I hate driving in snow. So I was just like, no, just. And then he got here. He's like, you do not have it all. And then my favorite part is he's like, um, I'm just going to make old fashions. You have most of the stuff for that. And I was like, cool. And he's like, where's your bitters? And I handed him the two bottles of bitters I have. He's like, are we having Sazerac or something like that? And I was like, no, never mind. He's like, are you in New Orleans? Why do you have those bitters? Gross. And I was like, I've never felt more judged in my life. I'm a successful so, woman. Do you, do you know what this reminds me of? Oh, what? What? Did you ever see So I Married an Axe Murderer? I have. It's been a long time. So there's a part in the movie where um, Mike Myers mm-hmm. spends the night at um, his date's house, and she lives with her sister. And so he wakes up first, and... Um, Amanda Plummer is the sister, which is delightful. <laughs> yes. And she's like, what would you say to, like, flapjacks, orange juice, crispy bacon? And he's like, that sounds awesome. Cut to the next scene. He is eating a bowl of Apple Jacks. And she's <laughs> like, we didn't have any of those other things. <laughs> But she knew full well that you didn't have those things because it was her house. I knew full well that I couldn't really, I didn't have anything fancy. I knew this. I knew this. But I was like, oh, yeah, like, no, of course I don't have any of his infused blah, blah, blahs that he's working on. But, like, I just wanted, I hate driving in snow. It gives me so much anxiety. And he drove me, so that was nice. But I was like, I need to go home. I need to let my dog out. I don't care what the fuck. But I was like... Yeah, come in for a cocktail. You're going to have to make it. <laughs> you may have to distill the alcohol yourself. This might take two weeks, but just let's let's figure this out. But we're at my house, and I feel better now. So good. Kind of. I wasn't about to pay for that Uber. It was going to be a million dollars. Anyway. So the point is, so, I'm having Happy Valentine's bourbon. Day. <laughs> happy Valentine's Day. I'm having a bourbon ginger in a... In a large commodity. This is my four roses. Is this, what is this? One point three quarter, uh, one and three quarter liter. It's a big bottle, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I brought it out here so I quietly mix my drinks instead of when I go to the, the kitchen and grab something and then we have a messed up recording, so. Yeah, we get disconnected and all that stuff. Yes. It's a mess. Anyways, this was way too long of a conversation to tell you that I'm having a bit of I ginger. I disagree. I thought it was perfect. <laughs> oh, 
I love that. He's like, oh, I was like, yeah, but I grew up in a bar. Oh, and I'm like, <laughs> like in the bar, like not in the not, bar, not, not in the bar industry, like <laughs> in the bar. <laughs> guess, guess what my dad's fancy feature was? He put ice in the urinals, <laughs> like. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so dad doesn't listen. It's fine. I can make fun of his. No, it's true. <laughs> charging charging kids full price for a Shirley Temple cocktail because he was like, you want to drink like an adult? You pay like one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh. Carl did not want kids at the bar. <laughs> oh, good. All right, so let's, let's go ahead and get back to business. What's your... Um, What's your work in progress? Or if you want to talk Valentine's Day stuff, talk to me. Well, so um, I have been making Valentine's Day stuff. I've also making not Valentine's Day stuff. Um, I guess I want to know how surprised do you want to be when you receive your Valentine's Day stuff? I'll probably forget. So hit it. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, just talk about it. Talk about it. Okay. And I'll show it to you. So, um... Not this past Christmas, but the Christmas before, I bought myself an advent calendar from Stitch Together, who is a um, an independent yarn dyer in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And I love her. She her colors are awesome. Her tagline is uh, "Rad Yarn for Rebels," which obviously yeah. I love. And so. So last year I bought the advent calendar and what you got was um, little mini skeins of different colors of yarn that she made, most of which were Christmas themed. Like they were um, like blue Christmas, Mm -hmm. um, things like that. Hands off the honeypot is one of my other favorite ones. Um, Wonderful. Which is not Christmas themed, but delightful. So um, because I got it at Christmas, it was it had arrived just in time to start thinking about making things for Valentine's Day, but not to actually finish anything. So last year I took out all the colors that were pinks and purples and colors that were sort of Valentine-ish or they had a lot of pink in them. And I started making crocheted hearts. So that's what I have now is I have little crocheted hearts. Those are beautiful. And of the, um, advent calendar there were four colors that I thought were kind of valentines-y so there was that this orange that has a lot of pink in it mm-hmm. and then there were two that are like mainly pink one is like a hot pink and one is sort of like a lavender mixed with Cute. pink Those are beautiful. and then there's one that's more lavender but it has a lot of pink and light blue in it So I have four colors of these little hearts, and the hearts are, um, I'll link to it in the the show notes, but it's a a free pattern on Ravelry by, I want to say a Swedish designer, but it's in English. You can get it in English or um, Swedish and probably some other languages as well. Uh, So I made all of the little hearts that I could from those mini skeins. So it ended up, each little mini skein made four of these hearts, Mm -hmm. and I... The, the pattern that she designed is for fingering weight yarn, theoretically. But when I made them held single, I thought they looked really kind of loosey-goosey. Like the lace was not yeah. nice and tight and it didn't hold its shape in any way. 
So what I decided to do was to hold the yarn double. So I followed the pattern as if it were a fingering weight yarn, but it's a fingering, I did it held double. And so that ended up giving me hearts that are about three inches across. They're, really, they're substantial, they're cute. Yeah, they're, they're about the size of the palm of my hand, I would say. Yeah, I love that. Um, so I have, when you hold them double, when you hold the yarn double, each little mini skein makes four hearts and then you have like a little tiny ball of yarn left over for each color. Mm -hmm. um, not enough to make another one, but enough to do something else decorative with. So that means I have 16 of these. Nice. And what I'm trying to decide is uh, what I want to do. I think I want to make like a bunting with them for people. I'm just trying to decide like do I want my my visual senses tell me that a bunting of four looks weird because it five. doesn't have a center. You, you need, need a five. A, you always odd numbers. That was my thought. Odd numbers for the win. I was just having this conversation with my friend Sarah about um, specific design principles that because she teaches mm -hmm. um, at the U or not the U um, MCAD. She teaches mm -hmm. there sometimes, and it's just she has to teach kids the first time like. These are the principles. But yeah, usually an odd number works. Yep. And three, I thought, didn't look like quite enough. Like, it's not like enough to really like... It's not full. Make a bunting. Yeah. So I'm going to use the little balls of yarn that I had left over. And I haven't decided what I'm going to do if I'm going to like... Because I, I haven't like unrolled it to see how much yarn it actually is. But I was trying to decide if I would like plate the different colors together to have that be the thread that holds them together or mm -hmm. what exactly I don't know but yeah so um surprise you're gonna be getting a bunting oh, of five I can't wait. and so um so I have one for you I have one for mom and then I don't know who will get the other one and then of course that also means I have a uh a, a singleton left over so I don't oh. know what I will do with that but we'll see I mean, this is a good opportunity, though, depending on how much yarn you need to use up other scraps in other colors. Mm-hmm. That's because, true, because it doesn't really have to be, like, pink and purple. It was just thematically right. I thought they looked good together. And they sure since they yeah. came from an advent calendar, um, they're all with this with the same designer's um, eye for color. Yeah. You know? So even though I don't necessarily think that she dyed them in order for you to make something with all of the mini skeins held together, I don't think that was the intent. Um, certainly, you know, she's got the same aesthetic. She is still the same person as she's doing all of these. So, um, and it, it turned out, I think, really well. Those look awesome. Yeah. And I just, I love, um, it's a delicate thing, but it actually looks fairly substantial in your hands. Like they weren't see-through. And no. I think that... I think that's good because it's um, it'll hold up on a bunting. It won't collapse, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, and I did so. I have a cautionary tale for anybody who is thinking about doing this, which is I had this idea that I wanted to um, starch them because Ooh. I wanted them to be stiff. Yeah. So I bought spray starch and I pinned them out. So I wet blocked them because I wanted them to actually, I didn't want them to like expand and contract with the spray starch. I wanted mm -hmm. to have that part all done. So I wet blocked them, um, sewed in all the ends, 
and then I pinned them out and sprayed them with spray starch. And I Googled a bunch of different things, and a lot of people said, like, this is how you're going to, this is what you want to do. You want to use spray starch. It's the easiest thing. Um, but it doesn't make them stiff. You know, like, they're still the this The concentration of the starch is, is low. Yeah. And yet, there is still enough of it there that, you know, your yarn is not smooth. It's not like a cotton woven shirt that you're going to then iron. So it's got little, you know, little hair sticking out of it, like little mm-hmm. little bits of fiber sticking out of it. And there is enough uh, starch there to make like a weird, thin, plastic-looking sh- sheet. Like it's starch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it makes like a little sheet of starch. So when you pick it up off of your blocking mat, it looks like there are crusties hanging off of it. So I'm just going to say don't. Don't even bother with the starching of these. If you make them the way that I made them, they are plenty stiff enough. And wet blocking will hold the point out at the bottom enough that you don't need the starch. Don't do that. Well, and I think that's kind of... um... Yeah, I think it just depends on your material. So having cotton or a specific kind of yarn, certain fibers are going to be more uh, more or less, like, not as soft and mm-hmm. rigid in some ways. So, yeah. Yeah, so all I did was create um, something I had to clean up a little bit, which is fine, <laughs> you know, but uh, I won't be doing that again. Um, yeah, so that is my, that is my oh. Valentine's Day work in progress. Um, and then the other thing that I have been working on, um, that's actually like a craft project is I decided finally to sit down and make a pair of socks that, um, were in pom-pom quarterly like years ago. When is this edition? 2015. Um, but in 2015, they put out their winter, um, it's not edition episode. It's a their, their winter volume, and it was all inspired by Biba, which is like very Art Deco, very oh my god, and it's all it's all of my aesthetic. Favorite. If I had time and uh, devotion to aesthetics, it would be Art Deco, and um, so I'm making the socks that are on the back cover. So they're called um, Hulaniki. They're named after um, the woman who started Biba. And I am making them in a yarn that is deep stash. I bought this many years ago. It's called um, Lorna's Laces Soulmate. And it's got Outlast in it, which is a fiber that's supposed to help absorb um, moisture. And I sometimes get sweaty feet. so. It never really caught on as a thing. I think Lorna's Laces was the only company that ever did it, and then I never saw anybody else do it again. So either it was too expensive or people just weren't that into it. But um, I am super happy. I'm doing it in like a a yellow green, like an apple green. Cute. Oh, the stitch is beautiful. I love it so much. (laughs) It's, It's ridiculous that I do a craft that is very organic in shape like knitting is very uh fluid and curvilinear 
and all I want is to apply very rigid geometric shapes to that. <laughs> well, and I think that's because it's ridiculous. It's a great. Um, it's uh, how do I put it? It's like controlling nature. There is something to being able to like focus and take something that should be organic and making it structured that gives a great sense of control and purpose and, and skill. So mm-hmm. the fact that we have agriculture, the fact that we like <laughs> we can make things out of, you know, we forge metals, all these kinds of things. It's fascinating. It's a natural it's want. It's true. And so for those who might not be familiar, um, the pattern, so this is from Pom Pom Quarterly's um, Winter 2015, and the pattern is by uh, Rachel Coopy, who is primarily a sock designer. Um, I've never made anything with uh, from a pattern of hers before, but I am loving this. So it's the twisted stitches are what you see, Miranda, and basically a twisted stitch in knitting kind of pops out in relief from the background, um, and in this case, the background is pearl. So whenever you have a pearl knit rib, you you see the pattern, right? Ribbing looks like a pattern. This is like ribbing amped up, like the twisted knit stitch makes it pop out even further. And then the more that you pull the fabric, the more obvious it becomes, like it never recedes into the purl stitch. But it's really easy to do. Instead of knitting into the front of the stitch, you just knit into the back, that's it. And in fact, when I first taught myself how to knit, I was always knitting into the back because I didn't know any better. Um, But now I know better and I don't do that except on purpose. So it's got, um, that's what gives it the pattern. And so it looks cabled, but it is not. It's just twisted stitches. It gives me the vibe of cabled, but it's just, but your yarn is so fine that when you're Mm -hmm. twisting it in a pattern, it gives that feeling of a cable. Yeah. And so the pattern, right, exactly. And so the pattern down the side of the leg just looks like a series of Vs, but it looks like these overlapping columns. I don't know how to describe it any better than that, but when you look at it, like it's, there's if you a were to of, look at this, you would see our deco. There's a lot of verticals deco. and diagonals. Mm-hmm. It's cool. We'll take a photo for this yeah. for our for the show post. I'm super happy, and quite honestly, even if the socks didn't fit me, I would still be so pleased with them. Just for having made them and having made something that has this aesthetic. But yeah. on the plus side, I put them on and they actually fit, so that was cool. Even better. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think the last thing, which I have not started on because I'm uh, scared for no good reason, is um, there's a pattern in a different pom-pom. This is from summer 2014, and it's called Libet. <clears throat> and it's actually intended to be, like, you know, baby's first sewing pattern. You know, it's meant to be, like, very much for beginners. Um, so it's a t-shirt that's sort of like a, I don't know how to describe it. You would know the name of this type of thing, but it ends up looking like a cap sleeve t-shirt, but you don't. It's kind of, um, you'd say it's almost like a dolman or it could also be a drop shoulder cap sleeve. Yeah. Yeah. Except that you don't actually make sleeves. Right. No, but it's what happens when you drop a shoulder, it's still a part of a rectangle. It's yes. just how much of it flows over your, your shoulder cap. Yeah. So if you look at the pattern, so the great thing about this, and this is, I do actually think it's a really good beginner pattern. I don't know why I'm shitting myself over it since I made a whole bunch of masks this year, but I think it's like masks I had like a mission, you know, 
that I was going to achieve something. This is like, who cares? And if you fuck it up, it'll be very, I don't know. I don't know what my deal is. But anyway, if you look at the pattern, it's um, oh, very it's so simple. Easy. Oh, it's Ireland. super. I know. Ireland. So I don't, I don't want to, um, you know, take away from the designer's credit for designing it, but it, it oh. is this very simple pattern that is awesome in its adjustability. So it is not a pattern that you print out. You basically right. take paper and you measure yourself in the ways that she tells you to. And then you draw your pattern on the paper in the way that she tells you to. So no matter what size you are, you will have a, a shirt that fits you at the end. Mm -hmm. And then there are some adjustments um, that she suggests, like ways that you could make it a little bit more your own, like how you could make a, a curved hem instead of a straight one, or how you could make like a boat neck instead of like the, the way that it's designed, like more of a crew neck on the original. Um, so it's fantastic for people who are afraid of buying a complicated pattern because like what if you're a 3XL but your boobs aren't as big as the person that they designed that shirt for and you don't know how to make adjustments yet because it's your very first thing and like how, how are you supposed to make an adjustment? This pattern doesn't require adjustments because it is specifically to your measurements before you ever cut the fabric. And then you That's can decide awesome. how you want to adjust it after that. I mean, technically what we're really doing is you're making your own pattern. And mm -hmm. the thing is, is that because you're making a shell, or sometimes we'll say a block, mm -hmm. it's a building block, right? So you can modify from there. But once you, you're you following her, the best way I want to say is like, her algorithm, her recipe. Her recipe, yeah, I think. Her recipe is the right word, I guess, of like what she thinks the proportions are based on your measurements. And of course you can modify as needed. You can add darts where you need it to fit. You can change the collar. You can change the, the shirt tail or shirt hem. All these things are wonderful, but because you're making this a sense, essentially like a shift, a block, mm -hmm. you can, um, it's something that you can carry and have forever. And it's something you could always modify. If you know you need to make a quick costume. Like I have a friend, my friend Sarah, who I mentioned earlier, like. She just has her own pattern blocks for her body. And from there, she just makes anything she wants. She makes all of her own clothes. So it's just one of those things, like, it's a great way of learning about yourself and learning about what fits for you because it's really cool to see her modify her block um, when she gets certain fabrics, depending on how they drape. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, that it's super cool. And the honestly, the only thing that's driving me to do this is like, so I said, I got this in 2014. Like I bought, this is from my subscription and I saw it and I was like, that's adorable. I'm never going to do that. And I really never would have, except that, you know, during the pandemic, I was like, well, I'm going to learn how to sew these masks because I have to. And that led me to my local fabric store. And I knew that there were cute fabrics everywhere, but I wasn't buying them because I was like, I don't need another habit. And, uh, but I got into it. And the patterns, like the stuff that you can buy at fabric stores, so freaking cute. They're really like, cool. They're really cool. There's this woman who designs for, I don't know if she designs for Ruby Star Society, but she has a lot of, prints that come out with Ruby Star Society, um, Rashida Jones. And wow, 
are those they're so freaking cute they're so goddamn cute and i want a shirt out of them so badly <laughs> so well and i now understand that you're saying patterns as in like a print Yes, I'm sorry. A print. Yes. Sorry, because I was like, well, Alan, yeah, the sorry. patterns are really cute. Well, and I oh. was just going to... I'm an idiot. It's not Rashida Jones. I knew when I said it, it was wrong. Rashida Coleman Hale. Rashida Coleman Hale. Okay. Yes. I was like, oh, Quincy Jones's daughter? Amazing. I know. But, like, okay. right when I said it, I was like, that's not right. What's her name again? Rashida? Rashida Coleman Hale. Got it. You just got excited, Alan. It's okay. We all do. I did. I got very excited. Oh, I'm um, seeing right now she doesn't design only for Ruby Star Society. That's just what my, my local shop carries. Well, the other thing I was going to say, because I thought you originally you were talking about sewing patterns, not a printed fabric that has Sorry. cool patterns on it. Yes. Um, so what I was going to say, though, is that I actually have a friend. I actually probably have a couple friends, but one for sure, my friend Anjali, she is a pattern designer like a sewing pattern designer. I didn't know that's what Anjali was yeah. doing these days. Oh. I think she I think she works for Butterick. Oh. Or McCall's or something like that. It's a big okay. one. She works for yeah. a big one. And so she is a designer of patterns. She also has to make those patterns and things mm-hmm. like that. It's it's a very cool job, but the fact that like you know, a lot of people think when they see the patterns at like a Joanne Fabrics, they're intense and they look like they haven't not all of them been updated in years. Because sometimes there's classics. you got to keep mm-hmm. the classics around. But mm-hmm. the thing is, the do-it-yourself community is so strong that patterns out there are incredible now. They are so relevant and so um, flexible. I'm just amazed at what's out there now. It is not when I worked at a fabric store like 20 years ago. And there's also so many more independent pattern makers mm-hmm. um, selling to much smaller mom-and-pop shops. They're more size inclusive. Um, it's awesome what's out there. It's a revolution that's happened in the pattern world. But it's really yeah. cool. And I have decided to start with something like super, super simple. And I am still terrified. <laughs> Man, can I recommend something? Yes, you can. Can I do a fashion school recommendation? Yes, please. Do a muslin. Ah, a- uh, yes. Yes. So go and buy some cheap fabric before you use your favorite fabric. That has a similar weight, but is made out of a cheaper material. Confirm or just one happy. that you don't like as much. Whatever it right. is. Right, right. It could be a test in a different... Yeah, the, the whole point of a muslin is that it is not your final. It's your draft. Um, and uh, I, I want to make sure I... A lot of people get this confused. Muslin is M-U-S-L-I-N. Not, mm-hmm. not a religious <laughs> situation, yes. but... Because some people get that wrong, but I just want to be really clear about that. But doing a muslin allows you to um, con- really look at your fit, see the overall drape, see where you were wrong, um, double check how you laid something out. Because maybe you'll decide, oh, I really love this. Pa- I love the print on this fabric, but if I cut it willy-nilly, I'm not going to have it laying the way I yeah, want. Yeah, yeah. So when you do the muslin, this you know this draft, you get to have an idea of like, oh, I really love how this pattern is here, so I want to make sure I, I make sure it's balanced. Because if mm-hmm. you just cut into something, sometimes the repeat is different than you yep. expect. And yep. you also want to make sure that if you want to do pattern matching on the sides, um, which is really common when you, depending on what kind of price level of shirts that you buy mm-hmm. in the market, 
but it's something you have to plan for. So sometimes you need yep. more yardage than you realized. Than you planned, so, yeah. So there's just kind of some things that happen that are that are a good thing. But the other part of it is, is that you really double check everything that you want to do. And you don't have to finish it. You just have to make sure it goes over your body and that it hangs the way you like. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big fan of that. The other I like thing I'm going to say is if you, if you have some sheets you do not give a fuck about anymore, use those for your muslin. I love old sheets that, like, maybe there's a stain on them. God forbid. Maybe you don't have a dog named Tubi who has dirty-ass paws and thinks she deserves to jump up on the bed anytime she wants. But guess who has white sheets she can't get dirt out of? Me. Me. <laughs> so I, um, I fold on some old sheets, um, either for the back of quilts, um, or I'll do them for bigger projects, and I just want to have some backup fabrics, mm-hmm. things like that. Or you can always take old sheets and then make them into extra pillows and stuff. But for the most part, that's a really cheap way of getting that fabric. I you know I used to um, see those at um, like Treasure Mart in Saint Vincent de Paul. There would be Mm -hmm. places that had, well, and sometimes they actually had like cool prints on them because you know in the seventies it was cool to have prints on your sheets sheets. and then suddenly it became like not cool anymore and you're supposed to be doing textures and not prints and blah blah blah. But yeah, so there's definitely that is a good idea. I like that. I think there's a there's a good place out there for using up things indeed so. um nice well i'm excited for your t-shirt i think well pretty easy. i'll be excited once i actually cut my pat once i draft my pattern <laughs> I, oh no i have this um i just it's my anxiety of starting something new that's significant and i just keep telling myself i'll start it when i do this i'll start it when i do this and i push and i push and i push and i wait till like not the last minute because there's no timeline on some of these things but there's just so much anxiety about getting started i Mm -hmm. hate that but then if i tell myself like you know two weeks ago i wish i would have started then i usually get my ass in gear because i'll be like i remember two weeks ago i was like i wish i would have started this like yeah like oh i'd really like to have this before the summer okay good idea (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And what's really funny is that now with knitting, I have the opposite problem. With knitting, I have starditis. And knitters have heard of this before. It's like you want to start all the things. Like somebody somebody came out with a new pattern and you're like, yes, I want, you know, or like a a dyer came out with a color that you just love. And you're like, I can't wait to cast something on. So you set aside all of your projects that you keep telling yourself you're going to finish and you start the new thing instead. And it's funny that I... I seem to have startitis about knitting. Like I must, I have to talk myself into finishing the things that I already started that I know I want because I started them. Like I started them. Well, it's a rush. It's a rush mm-hmm. to start something new. It's not um, exciting. And for the sewing, <laughs> for the sewing, I'm like, oh, but I don't know how to do this. And the pattern is literally like two sides. pieces of printer paper yeah. that you tape together and then like well and you know what this is another thing i'll say uh don't do the printer paper because are you printing it out no you don't have to print it no no it's just because that's the paper i have around the house no the paper you have around your house is that really ugly christmas wrap oh yes remember i used that for a a tree skirt Mm -hmm. yes 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 um i hate saying that but i'm saying it that way um 
yes, this is another place to like use up the things that you hate. Don't wait to, to see that at Christmas and then be forced to use that ugly wrapping paper that's cheap that someone bought that you told them not to buy that you hate and that you've inherited maybe from a parent who went a little overboard on Christmas wraps. I'm not sure if that's the story or not. But anyways, the point is, <laughs> use up that shit. Or newspapers. Are also, I cut up paper bags from the grocery store. I do have a lot of paper bags, it's true. You have All of those things of are good don't ideas. Use, don't use, when it comes down to virgin paper, and I hate, yeah. but, but virgin white paper is a lot of process. That's a lot You're of totally energy right. and resources. Even if it's recycled, they're still bleaching mm-hmm. the shit out of it. That's a lot of chemicals and process. So anytime that you cannot use a white piece of paper, you are ahead of the game. That is, that's an excellent point. And it's not the most robust anyway, right? Like uh, a paper bag from the grocery store is far more robust to yes. the and folding and the multiple uses and all of that. And the last thing I'll say about the printer paper is that when you cover it in tape, you can't recycle it. So the bigger the piece of paper that you can get from said ugly wrapping Christmas paper, cool. From garbage bags or you know, paper craft bags, awesome. Newspapers, wonderful. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> no, no, this is awesome. I really appreciate it. I hadn't thought about it, and that is, those are excellent ideas. Thank you. Um, but this is also what makes me that person. I saw a meme the other day that was like, being an adult is trying to talk yourself into not saving a box because it's a good cardboard box. Like, <laughs> we all are like, oh, that's a good cardboard box. <laughs> There's like, this woman. <laughs> That reminds me very much of this. uh, There's this company called Noctex that um, I've never bought anything from because their style is not my current style, but I love what they do. So Noctex is a company in um, Vancouver, and they use dead stock fabric to make clothing. And uh, so they have, you know, an Instagram page, and it's all very, like, it's all the the late 90s goth that we were growing up with. Like, that's oh, the vibe. Like, mm-hmm. trip NYC type clothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. You, you know, um, <laughs> sheer mesh shrugs and, you know. And not all of it is stuff that I would not wear, but the things that I would wear tend to sell out pretty quickly because of course it's all from dead stock. So there's not large quantities being made anyway. So the, the woman who owns the company, um, had a little thing that she put on her Instagram that she was like being a small business owner. And she's just basically walking around her storeroom being like, that's a good container. I could use that. That's a good box. I could use that. And it's just like her walking around finding a reason not to throw away everything in that storeroom. Uh, welcome to Because my it's life. all usable. Yes. Uh, the idea of like breaking down, that's, oh my God. Anytime I break down a really good box that was, that has like a glued bottom, like say it was a wine box or something. Oh, it breaks my heart because you know that when you tape it back together, it's never as strong. It's not. It's never going to be as strong. And so every time you break something down, it, you're just wearing it out. So there's a part of me that is so careful. Um, I got a, I ordered this. It was a piece of artwork, a shadow box. Oh, the word shadow box is not artwork normally. Sorry, the way I said that. I was like, mm, no, it's not. But um, but it was, it was actually something that was a really cool effect. And it came in a very protective box in a box. Yeah. Both boxes exceptional and with custom, <laughs> like with 
compostable packing peanuts. And I was like, I must hold on to this. And I was like, the compostable packing peanuts. It would be hard for me to get rid of those, even though they're freaking compostable. Compostable. No, and, oh, and me trying to track down if I could actually put them in the compost here. Because even though something says it's compostable, every city that does compost has different rules about what kind of stuff they're willing to put in there or not. But, oh, my God. I... It was hard, Island. It was really hard. But then I realized that I had nothing that... I held on to that box for two months. Two months. And then I was like, I guess I'm not shipping anything. Like, I literally was like, time to let it go. Sayonara, old friend. Like, I just... I had such a... Right now in my corner is a whole lot of little boxes. Because I have these... uh, Some woodworking stuff I had done for friends that I need to ship out. But that shit... Oh my god, Island. It's so hard. Um... But yeah, I look at everything as, can I sew with that? Can I cut that into a ribbon? Can I pack with that? Can I wrap a gift in that? Like, I, my hoarding style is, can I use it again? Not, this means a lot to me. I'm like, could I use it again for somebody else? Like, I, yep. that is my hoarding style. I think that we I'm should, the same. there is a, and I don't want to say that it's not from our family, like folding up tissue paper because nothing nothing says a brand new gift like your tissue paper that's got more wrinkles in it than like an elephant skin like <laughs> and the tissue paper's so soft that you're like I can already tell what this gift is because it's folded around it <laughs> it's collapsed over the gift but oh man I am guilty so guilty um anyway um wonderful wonderful uh works what are, in progress <laughs> what are your works in progress funny you should ask um how interesting of you to ask uh on this podcast oh don't swallow your drink <laughs> <laughs> swallow your drink <laughs> mm. so i think i've told everybody on this podcast before like all all six of us um but that <laughs> if i ever come back as a ghost my ghost noise is is ice <laughs> Ice in a glass. <laughs> Everyone else is like, oh, I'm going to leave a penny or I'm going to send you butterflies. Not me. I'm going to haunt you with a, with ice in your glass. <laughs> so every time I pull, take a sip of my drink, I'm like, sorry, everyone who's listening. All you hear is clank, 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 clank. <laughs> like, I'm the ghost of hangovers past. <laughs> on other than hangovers and my ghost stories um (laughs) no one else plans to be dead like me um anyways so what i'm currently working on i'll start with my valentine's thing because it's my most exciting thing it is taking me a long time to get inspired this year i usually get i usually get like my best ideas around december and everybody that knows me and people who listen to this podcast know that i do around a hundred Sometimes 150. I've done 200 at one point, but for the most part, I do around like 100, 150 Valentines every year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, handmade Valentines. It's our Super Bowl. So it's the William Sister Super Bowl <laughs> as far as like we go all out. And um, usually I start in December as far as like ideas, gathering materials, and then right at the end of January, I get really rolling. And then, of course, I have an overnight freak out <laughs> right on. You know, February 13th. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But like, like am I, I going to get them all done? When will it happen? Yeah. So I, I'm dumb. But anyways, <laughs> I know who I am. 
But this year, it took me so long to get inspired. And I was riffing with my friend Sarah. She's my craftiest friend, one of my craftiest friend folks. And we started talking about, like, I, she was like, what's your, what is your guiding principles for, for your Valentine's? And I was like, oh, no one's ever asked me that. I just kind of... <laughs> I just kind of shit something out. I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> and then I realized that like I do have some guiding principles. And she's such a good, you know, she's she teaches in art school, and she's like, "What's your guiding principles? Like, what are your your have tos and your must haves?" Mm-hmm. And mine were like, "It has to be usable, like functional. Okay. If it's not functional, it needs to be recyclable or compostable. Mm-hmm. It it would be great if it's using um, post consumer goods, like." Yeah. I'm not buying virgin goods, or if I am buying those goods, that again, it's highly compostable, usable, edible. It has to have more than one use, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I want it for people to be able to get rid of it without it laying around the earth forever. Yeah, kind of my rules. So, um, based on all that, she and I started talking about multiple ideas and things like that, and. I was telling her, I was like, I really want to use up some of the samples I have to throw away. For my job, I get a lot of samples, and we recycle them. Like, we actually have a recycling program, which is awesome. However, but reusing every... is better than recycling. recycling exactly. And and also, like, some of these are not, these aren't full garments. They're, like, and also we can't, we can't donate the garments that I'm giving, that are not giving, but I'm, that I have to recycle because they don't pass test, testing standards for the age group in which they're, and the consumer that they're for. So, like, no matter what, they're being disposed of. The hope is everything should be recycled and and managed. But if I can cut something apart, great. Um, and also, like, I have to be really honest. Like, it's not something that we are supposed to be doing with samples. Samples must be disposed of. But there are some things where there's, like, an exception as far as, like, a cutting of fabric Mm-hmm. or something like that that's okay but we're not to use we are not to reuse a sample that's against our guidelines it's a, a major violation of my employee employment contract so there are certain things that can be reused not all things um sorry i have to very legally make that super clear but mm-hmm. for the most part if there's things that i can cut apart or even my own personal sample like my own personal clothes that i can get rid of like denim um it you know it just kind of got the ball rolling. I have a number of jeans that I don't wear anymore, our shirts and things like that. And so what I am going to do this year, which I think you've seen me do something similar before, and I've done this many times for like um, friends in the past, is I make patches out of things. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to make double fusible hearts, denim hearts and corduroy hearts to mend a broken heart. I'm doing a mending kit for everybody. So it's going to be three different sizes of hearts. And it'll be a mix and match, like they're not all one color, but you can either do a deck, you can iron, and they're all iron on. So it's a really simple way for people who don't know how to sew, they can iron something on. It's just like any other iron on patch you would make, that you buy at you know, a craft store to replace and fix your jeans. Right, Except but I don't know how to make them. I know how to use them, but I don't know how to make them. Well, top tip, it's a double-sided fusible. They used to call, well, one famous brand is called Wonder Under. Um, it's by Pellon. It's Pellon. P-E-L-L-O-N. Yeah. Um, that's super famous. That's the most common, but that's really like a part-time fusible. It's a double fusible. So one side, it's essentially, um, how do I put it? It's a glue that you can, you can apply. It's a heat, 
heat-activated glue. So when you mm-hmm. iron it onto something, but it has a paper backing. And so then once you remove the paper backing, you can then take whatever you had ironed the glue onto, the, or that sheet of, we call it, it's a fusible interfacing. And then you can put it on top of another fabric, iron it on, and it adheres itself. Gotcha. It's really great for applique work um, that you would do in fancy quilting. Um, other applique in general just means fabric applied to other fabric. But mm-hmm. it's really great. But there's lots of different levels of glue strength. There's also um, some involve just glue. Others have glue in a fabric. Like there's a whole lot of layers to the fusible world. But yeah, so what I'm using is I'm actually using a brand called Heat and Bond, which I've loved since I was in high school when I worked at Hancock Fabrics. It's my favorite because I was an old punk rocker and we always had to make little canvas patches for people and the back patches of their denim jackets. And because it's a much stronger glue, it's a thicker glue as well as a stronger bond, it can adhere itself to heavier weight fabric. So you need to app- ah. you need to have a glue that is that matches the heaviness of your fabric. You would never put a heavyweight glue, like a fusible glue, um, you know, done with a heating iron. Like on a silk chemise or something. It, right, you would never do that. It's, it would never match. It would also destroy the fabric that you're trying so hard to apply to something else. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I feel like I've gone a little off the rails here, but it, the point is, is I'm making denim heart patches, little mending kits for everybody. That's awesome. So, yeah, I'm really That's excited. Me. Do you know I'm what I'm particularly ex- excited about? What? Um, what? I have a dress that I can't remember if I got it from Mom or if I got it from St. Vincent de Paul, but same era either way. Mm-hmm. And it's a Halston dress. Oh, I remember this dress. Yeah. Was it, it a two-piece? No. No, no, no it's, a, it's a shift, but it is um, ultra suede. It's like salmon pink ultra suede, and it's a I shirt dress. dress. Yes. And it has it's pockets. It's really cool. It definitely tore in the shoulder oh. and not along the seam. Oh. Yeah, because at first when I noticed that it was torn, I was like, oh, it's just a seam. I'll fix that. And I looked at the back and I was like, oh, no. It's the fabric it just, giving way. The fabric just gave up the ghost. And great, I mean, this fabric is, that dress had to have been made latest, mid-70s. But with that shape and style, I'm going to say it was the 60s. It's that sort of like salmon pink um, shift with long sleeves, long placket. Could have been 60s or 70s. Um, but it's old. I mean, that's very obvious. Like, it's old, and I was not the first person to wear it. Um, but yeah, it's, so it's got a tear on the back. And oh. I am excited about the idea of being able to fix it with some, because when I try to think about how to repair it myself, like, it was going to be a visible mend, no matter what. There was no way I was going to get an invisible mend on that. So yeah. I had to think about how am I going to do a visible mend that looks awesome, because that dress is awesome. Awesome. And, and none of the stuff I have at the house right now is right for it. You know? Yeah. Because it's the wrong... Well, every, all the fabric I have is like a lighter weight fabric. And this is this is ultra suede. Like it is thick. It was a very heavy. dense... It's thick because it was the polyester... Not polyester, but the 
the fake man-made version of suede. So it actually has like a nap to it. Yep. It has a flow like suede. Mm-hmm. Um, I think prior to you applying any patch, double check. Um, usually like because they started adding um, care instructions to garments in the 70s. Check and see if it has care instructions. 70s and 60s they started care instructions. Um, so it might have on there whether to iron or not. And if, because it's a it's a synthetic, so that's the yeah. only thing I worry about is applying a synthetic, a cotton patch to a synthetic. However, it's a fusible, so you could actually go with a low setting. Sorry, my brain. I could like, go with a low blah. setting, and also I could just not iron it. Exactly. Like I could not just stitch. You it. could you could <clears> stitch <throat> it, but the thing is, because you already know that this hole is there, you could also use like just to keep it in place while you stitch it. Um, you could use a fabric glue. Mm-hmm. Just to keep it in its spot, which is really nice. Um, but because it's a synthetic, you can use a low heat, a really low heat, and it might still adhere itself. Yeah, so. enough that I can, because I, I, for if I'm actually patching, patching, I'm going to stitch the edges anyway. I'm not going to leave it to the glue. because you're going to be, because I will be having glue, because I'm adhering this glue with a heat transfer, like this fusible heat, uh, fusible glue, um, I recommend that you... Use um, Sewer's Aid, which is silicone, it's a silicone uh, oil, essentially. Okay. It's a lubricant. I've never um, heard of it. You can get Sewer's Aid or Sewer's Friend, like they have a couple names for it if you go to your local shop. But what it does is when you're hand stitching, and I used to have to do this when I used to sew through sequins, like glue applied sequins versus Mm. sewn sequins, you'd have to apply it to your sewing needle on your machine so that it wouldn't get gummed up with glue. Ah. Same thing goes for like hand pa- like hand sewing a patch that is originally um, an iron on only. Mm-hmm. If you want it, like I used to use iron on patches on stuff for like punk rock jackets, and then I would get Sewer's Aid to put on my needle as I would go around the edges to make sure that it was truly adhered. Because um, cool. sometimes those patches will come off. Mm-hmm. But you want to make sure that you do that because then you won't break your, you won't get knotted thread. You'll, your needle will continue to glide through all the layers really well. I Probably could have used that information when I applied a bunch of patches to a tote bag, but that's cool. <laughs> I know it now. <laughs> I know it now. Um, I will add that to my instructions because I always put a little instructions on certain gifts that I make. So like, I'll add like, if you have an oil, like some, and even like, um, some people just use soap. Mm-hmm. That works too. It just you just need a lubricant of some kind, just yeah. to make sure that your needle and your if you if you choose through. to sew it on, then this is how you would do it. I like it. Yep. Cool. I will. I will add this to my add directions because <laughs> not everyone sews, and no. all those that do iron are going to still need some help. Anyways, sorry guys, you're you're I'm adding this to my to do list, not just the. Not just our uh, podcast inventory here. <laughs> Anyways, so I'm doing a How to Mend a Broken Heart, very Bee Gees-esque repair kit. Um, it's, it's just cute. But um, so I'm doing that. I'm really excited by that. I just got, I'll show you later, but I ordered many yards of my favorite fusible, and it came in a huge box. I essentially bought my own, um, what did we used to call them? Bolts. Mm. Yeah. I, I essentially ordered my own bolt of heat and bond heavyweight because yes. I love that shit. It's like, and it won't go bad. Like, it does not go bad. And I, 
still keep every scrap I used to have of it because it's so hard to find and it's expensive when you buy it in the small sheet. So I bought 35 yards of it, but that's a whole nother, it's a, they're only 17 inches wide. So calm down anybody who's freaking out, but it's one of my favorite things. It's also really good if you're like, you're applicating a t-shirt. Like I used to do, like my friends, whenever they had um, band shirts, they loved, but they were just like too pitted out Fine. and mm -hmm. broken. We would always put that level of heat and bond on it because then we would iron it onto the back of a denim vest or a denim jacket. And it just, it's a really great stabilizer. Nice. Anyways. But that's not your gold star, just in case anybody That's not my wondering. gold star. No, no. This is just my, this is just my love of this product. But anyways, I'm going to stop now. So that's one project I'm working on. I'm also working on my own calendar. Um, I have a calendar that I bought from Target from, uh, what was it? It's, uh, oh, I'm just getting a warning. I'm a 20% battery on my AirPods. Anyways, um, <laughs> I got a calendar from Target from the, I think it's Hearth and Hand collection, but it had wonderful paper stock for the calendar that you can take off in pages. And there ain't no way I'm throwing that whole calendar away. I'm just turning that right around and doing the rest of my calendar on the backside. So I'm currently doing that, and I thought that was really fun. Yeah. It's a good, like, have a cocktail or have an edible and think of Tam. Um, <laughs> no, no one can see that you and I are like shaking our heads back and forth real, real intensely like snakes. Anyways, uh, or those characters from Sesame Street, the, the Martians. Even yeah. 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 <laughs> the best, the chenille Martians. That's the best part is that they're definitely chenille. Anyways. Definitely um, <laughs> all right. I'm rambling, but those are the projects I'm working on right now. And Valentine's awesome. Day is going to take up a lot of my time up until sure. um, the 14th, especially because I have to mail out everything. But I think that the patches, because I'm doing a three-pack of patches for everybody, I think it'll be under an ounce. So I think I can yeah. still put in the regular mail. I'm kind of excited about that. That's awesome. So, um, yeah, that's it. But we can get to gold stars whenever you're ready. All right. Well, this is kind of a weird gold star because it is not um, – like a product that you can buy um, and it's something that I, I don't even know how I learned about it now that I'm thinking about it, but I love this story and so I'm gonna share it. And that is uh, the story of Jill Biden's inauguration night dress. So this is not about politics at all, so nobody worry that I'm about to say that somebody's politics are good or bad or anything. It's really more about the, the way that the inauguration dress and coat were conceptualized and delivered because normally, um, I think when you see famous people do things, right? Like most of the time they'll say like, oh, who are you wearing? Who's the designer? And that's kind of where everybody stops. And usually the dresses are um, really beautiful, but they don't always have like some other meaning, like emotional meaning to the person. It's like, oh, well, I really liked this designer. I wanted this designer to do this. Or um, I like this structure of this dress and it's a callback to this particular type of fashion. But it's not really like a it's not, a, it's not a garment telling a story necessarily. <clears throat> in politics, you see that more often, but even then, it's not it's not all the time. But the, the dress and the coat that were made for Jill Biden, number one, started off with everything being in white. 
which is a callback to the suffragette movement for women's voting rights. Um, so that was cool. But then what I did not notice in real time, but I've now gone back and found stories about from the person, the people who um, put the dress together, is that the embroidery on the dress and the embroidery around the coat were not just random flowers. So if you look at the dress, the dress has flowers on the um, shoulders and arms and the coat has flowers embroidered around the bottom. It's not repetitive flowers. The flowers are the state flowers for every state in the United States. So each state is represented on that garment, that set of garments, the dress and the coat. And um, because she was representing Delaware, the state flower of the state of Delaware is the one that's closest to her heart on the mesh. And then all of the other state flowers come out from there. And I just thought that was such it's a beautiful. lovely idea, right? Because, <clears throat> you know, the, the purpose of an inauguration is to try to unify people in some way. And although this was clearly quite subtle and probably most people didn't get it, and I certainly didn't get it, um, it does... I think have a lot of meaning, particularly because these types of garments go into the Smithsonian. They go into national Absolutely. galleries, right? Like this is not a garment that's going to get worn ever again. And the purpose of this garment was never to be worn more than once. Um, that's, and it's one of those, it is a milestone. It is a moment in time. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So apparently yeah. the person who designed it was um, named Gabriella Hurst. And she has her design house in uh, New York City. And so these um, flowers that were embroidered on were hand embroidered by people as well. So it was like a, a handmade garment um, made in, you know, in the United States reflecting the, the diversity of the United States and this message of unity, which like I said, I, I get that it was quite subtle, but if you look at the thing itself, it's also just really beautiful. Um, it is. It's also like, it's very, um, it's clearly hand embroidered. Mm -hmm. At least it, to me, it looks like it was hand embroidered, but no matter what, it has a lot of care in the, the application. Whoever designed it was really careful with how they put all those flowers together. Cause that's a lot of weird flowers. Yeah, they don't go together, are, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. They wouldn't normally go together, but the, you can tell that someone had given a lot of care and time to make that happen. Also, embroidering on mesh, which is on the dress at the top of the yoke and the shoulders, is really difficult. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's a really well put together piece. And I think that the story didn't get as much press as other things that had gone on that day. Or other <laughs> handmade items that people were wearing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but I think that it's a, it's, I think that where, where we forget to talk about this stuff is, and I know that it's, it's unfortunately sometimes tied to politics, but a lot of this stuff is based on American designers and based on the handicrafts of our nation, which we don't have the longest tradition of fiber craft. We don't. Certainly like not, that's, yeah. That belongs to many other countries and many other... Um, cultures. 
cultures and civilizations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this we're relatively new. So we're building our archives. We're building the stories of America. We're just a very young nation. We're doing that with every piece that goes into the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know, the... Uh, the uh, is it Victorian Albert Museum yeah. <laughs> and, and archives, they've got years and years and years and stuff. And don't be wrong, the Met has things, but it's not all American pieces. Yeah. So this is where it's really important to like take a moment and pause around the craftsmanship that has happened here. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. So that that's my gold star. My gold star is going to talk about a similar thing, the designers that Kamala Harris Kamala Harris, Lord, I get it. Say it one more time with yelling. Who's had two cocktails? It's me. <laughs> but, Kamala um, Harris. Kamala Harris. Um, sorry, everyone's going to just be like, oh, Miranda drank too much. Anyways, um, but our, our Madam VP, she actually brought in a number of designers. Um, oh, sorry, as I do this, my headphones die. <laughs> Hold on a second. Of course. All right. Sorry, I had to switch to um, a different headphone set. But after an hour, AirPods turn into pumpkins. I don't know if anyone knows that, but I know this now. Anyways, (laughs) they turn into pumpkins. My pumpkin carriage is here. Anyways, (laughs) so our, our wonderful VP... Uh, she brought in, and her team brought in a number of American designers for her inauguration outfits, not just the one that she wore during her inauguration, um, but also the day before during a COVID-19 memorial, as well as um, her dress in the evening was done by a different designer. And there were so many designers. There was Christopher John Rogers, Sergio Hudson. Um, so this is a, it's a Pyre Moss, Moss's designer, is Kirby Jean Raymond? Kirby Jean Raymond? Wow, I need to stop myself. Anyways, but the point is, there's a designer from this group. And then um, Prabal Goring, which. Oh, yeah. To... Target did a collab with Prabal Goring. Yeah, so I was like, uh, this is awesome. And then lastly, um, Wilfredo Rosado, which I didn't know about this, but. He is a fine jewelry designer and uh, from Puerto Rico. Cool. So I was like, damn, that is awesome. There were so many more designers than I realized. I just heard about a few because it was like, oh, these two black designers were a big part of her looks. But actually, like, we have an, you know, an Asian American as well as a Puerto Rican American designer in the mix, which was awesome. So it was really cool. Of um, her outfits, because like you said, she wore several. Did you have a favorite? Honestly, I think I will always, I mean, her inauguration outfit, it was just so bright and beautiful. It's just Mm -hmm. awesome. And I was just very appreciative of, um, they weren't flashy. Like, she's not Lady Gaga wearing Scaparelli. No, (laughs) but I got to be honest, that was everything. (laughs) I was like, yes, God. Well, and I forget that, um. A lot of people don't know this, but Scaparelli was one of the few couture designers of America. Elsa Scaparelli. So, like, that is a, 
it's a very rare occurrence that we had couture from an American. So. True. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just I was just reflecting back on the fact that Elsa Scaparelli oh, also gave us shocking pink. What? Oh, I I stand corrected. She's Italian, Elsa Scaparelli. But I thought she made her disregard. I, I'm a bad bad. Um, I mean, she was she had her major she had a major influence in the United States. But I disregard. Sorry, disregard. She's not American. But Scaparelli is Italian. But she was a contemporary of you know Dali of, of like the surrealist. She was a fashion designer that was down and cool. So, all right, sorry guys, I had to correct myself. I was like, ooh, the fashion person in me is going to be in so much trouble. Anyways, <laughs> but the point is, you know, our our Madame VP was not wearing Scaparelli. She was wearing an American designer, modern made stuff, and also in purple, which was a whole point of that of that whole day. So it was just kind of a badass moment. It really That's was. All. It really was. Gold so, stars for anyways. fashion all around. Gold stars. I'm sorry, guys. I butchered the crap out of this last content section. I am... No. <sighs> Four roses. <laughs> I had t- I poured two cocktails before we started recording because I didn't want to get up and make another. But with two cocktails in front of me, I just... I finished them. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, progress over perfection. That is all. That is all. That is all we have. So thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, you can find us on Instagram as Stitchcraft Sisters. And uh, you could look for us in other places, but nobody else seems to. So yeah. it's fine. Why, just Why Instagram. bother? Yeah. We were on Ravelry, but like we clearly don't apply to just a knitting and crocheting audience. So um, yeah. And then our website uh, where you will find all of our show notes is uh, stitchcraftsisters.com. And you can listen to it on our site if you don't download podcasts currently. Yes. Yep. So we if you're like at work, it. if you're at work and you want to listen to it, you can do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Whenever that is. Whenever it is. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs>